We're continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6 today, the message I call, He Saw Them, and uh, They Saw Him. Mark chapter 6, verse 47. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And then he saw them, straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. This was the second time during this Galilean ministry that the apostles were caught out in a boat in the middle of a storm in the Sea of Galilee. This storm was not like the first. The first storm was life-threatening. The waves were so high, the boat was being swamped and They were very seriously in danger. Jesus, of course, was asleep, and they woke him up. And uh, uh, that was a a great story in and of itself. Uh, This is a storm, a significant one. The Bible says the wind was blowing against them. Any of you that are fishermen that's ever been out in a boat trying to row your boat against the wind, and you know what they were up against, uh, the wind always wins, uh, always. It may take it a while, but the wind always wins. And, and so they were rowing against the wind. The Bible says that the boat was being tossed by the waves, so it was significant waves, not quite as life-threatening as before. Uh, the Bible tells us that it was at even, sundown, supper time. You remember that Jesus had fed the 5,000 people at supper time with just that little snack lunch almost, five biscuits and uh, uh, some dried fish. That, that was it. Uh, but he turned it into a banquet and fed at least 5,000 people, may have been as many as 20,000 people counting because the Bible tells us besides women and children and uh, just the men, 5,000 men. So huge, huge crowd of people were fed and 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now at that time, even sundown, Jesus commands the disciples to get in the boat. No doubt they had those leftovers with them. And away they go. It was at sundown when he sent them away. It's the fourth watch when he goes to them. That's about 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, They rode a long, long time. And they were rowing uh, against the wind. Storms have been a part of our life ever since uh, the fall. The first storm that's recorded in Scripture for us was a doozy. That's when it rained the 40 days and nights and God brought His judgment upon the world. Um... Because storms come against us so suddenly, because they come with such ferocity, because they come in such an unexpected way, they have certainly fearful power. Because of this, we use them as a metaphor. We talk about the storms of life, and all of us have gone through them. We know what it's like to have a storm swoop down upon us unexpectedly. Things are going along pretty routinely, and suddenly the storm comes. And it wrecks havoc. I had the opportunity of driving through the area between Panama City, Florida and Mexico Beach where Hurricane Michael came to shore a few years ago. And you could drive for miles and miles and miles and miles. And all you would see for miles is broken over pine timber. It was just miles of it. Big trees snapped off like toothpicks. 
houses and buildings raised to the foundation. You drive through an area like that where a storm has come through and done so much damage. You ask yourself, well, will it ever come back? Uh, Yes. But not in my lifetime. I had a very favorite, uh, beautiful grove of huge white oak timber and red oak timber that I used to visit when I was a child. It was one of my favorite places to squirrel hunt. It almost had a, a cathedral-type feeling to it when you went in there. Just sit down, especially if the mosquitoes weren't too bad. They'd leave you alone. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, but a tornado came through and laid all that timber down. Will it grow back? Yeah. But not in my lifetime. It'll never be the same. You see, a storm can come through our life and change our life just like that. It doesn't mean that our life can't go on, but it's not the same. Storms have that kind of power. And they come to us rather regularly, and you say, well, you know, I'm not in that kind of storm today. Well, thank God, number one, literally, thank God. If you're in a blessed time when everything is going well, then uh, we can enjoy those blessed times. But we remind ourselves that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And so we say, thank you, God, for this good time. Don't take it for granted. Enjoy it. Be grateful. Because you also know there are a lot of times that storms come. Sometimes a storm comes against a whole nation. Back in the latter part of 2019, a novel coronavirus was discovered that we now know as COVID-19. The effects on our nation's health, on our political system, on our economic system, and yes, even on our personal lives have been profound. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of sign of it letting up much. I mean, we're thankful that we're seeing some of the numbers down in our county. That certainly has brought a storm to our nation. And so I want to bring that up this morning only to remind us that this isn't just some uh, nice sounding expression. It's not just some thoughts that we're going to put together and we look at it in scripture and say, oh yeah, that's good. Uh, This is real time stuff for us. Because in this second time then that Jesus takes his disciples through this storm on the Sea of Galilee... He's demonstrating some lessons that we need in the world we're living in right now. And I hope by the time this message is over, you'll understand more why I say that. We'll begin by then seeing God's providence in the storm. God's providence. Immediately, verse 45, he, that's Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. Jesus told his disciples to get into the ship. They were not out of the will of God. They were in the will of God. They were not disobeying God. They were obeying God. They were doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do. The presence then of this storm in their life was not an indication that something was wrong or something was out of place. Everything was going wrong exactly as Jesus had arranged it, he providentially then, we could say, led them into the path of the storm. We might quickly go back in our mind to the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament. Now, Jonah's experience was different. 
Jonah rejected God's plan. Jonah rebelled against God's plan, and he ended up sleeping his night a couple of nights away on a on on a blubber mattress. And I, I don't think that uh, I don't I, I don't uh, envy him in that at all. He was in a storm then because he rejected the will of God, but the disciples were there because they had followed the will of God. And so this morning, I think we can say that sometimes the storms that we encounter are engineered by God. Jonas was. God caused the storm. God brought the fish. If it's not engineered by God, we'd certainly have to say that they are allowed by God. God never looks at a storm that comes into our life and says, I wish I could do something about that. Mm -mm, never happens. Sometimes storms then come on us because of our own bad choices and bad decisions. Sometimes they come upon us because we make good decisions. But we always need to remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 107 verse 25. He said, He commands and raises the stormy wind. I think I'll read that again. He commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. As the hymn writer said, the winds and the waves do indeed obey His will. But still, we have the peace that comes from knowing that God is on the throne. They were both in the will of God and in a storm. In the will of God in a storm. Over the last year, I've heard so many people talk about the, the storm that has descended upon our nation in the form of the COVID-19 epidemic. I've heard so many people use an expression. Uh, they talk about what they call the plandemic, and that's their way of, of, of talking about how it's just this uh, massive conspiracy. And I, I've, I've always kind of uh, been a little bit put back by that, just to be honest with you. Uh, but I thought about it in light of this passage, and I've come to the conclusion that it's actually a very good expression. As long as you remember who's doing the planning. Was this pandemic planned? Yes. Who planned it? God Almighty did. God Almighty did. He could have stopped it. Engineered it? I don't know. Allowed it? I don't know. But I know one thing, it did not come outside of His providence. You say, Brother Rich, do you mean to say that God would actually bring something in judgment against this world that would cause maybe thousands of people to die or millions? Could God do that? Have you ever read the book of Genesis? Do you remember that flood? Do you remember the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? How many times has God brought judgment against a world that has resulted in the death and the suffering of a lot of people? Did He bring judgment upon the land of Israel and even on their adversaries sometimes when even, yes, the land of Israel suffered? Yes, yes. Yes, He had. 
So we want to talk about a pandemic. I, I can go with that as long as we're giving the credit where credit belongs. I do not give credit to some boardroom secret meeting of a bunch of billionaires. I would say that if the pandemic was, or pandemic was planned, if it was a pandemic, in fact, that it is the work of God. And we need to ask ourselves then the question, what does God intend for us to see as His people in the midst of this? You see, God has correcting storms, uh, but He also has perfecting storms. The correcting storm was the one like uh, Jonah experienced. The perfecting storm is the one like the disciples experienced. They were in the will of God and in a storm. I like what Adrian Rogers said about this. He talked about the preachers he called the joy boys. You know, they're the guys who preach the gospel of cash and Cadillacs. Although it's not, you don't even have to say Cadillacs anymore. It can just be the gospel of cash and Chevrolets. You send me a, an offering and uh, uh, just have enough faith. And then you're, you're going to have everything. And there's not ever going to be a problem. And you can just rebuke everything and it'll all go away. Now, that's not the truth. The Bible says this in Psalm, chapter, or Psalm 4 and verse 1. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. You see, there's correcting storms like Jonah experienced, but there's also perfecting storms, times when God may send us right into the teeth of the wind because He intends to grow us. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. You remember the story in Numbers chapter 14 when the disciples were, or when the uh, uh, spies were sent into the land and, and they spied out, they came back and they came back talking about the Anakim, the, the, the giants that were in the land. We're still trying to figure out what those giants were. I, I just go with what the Bible says. They were giants. And two of the spies says, yes, there were giants in the land, but he said, they should be bread for us. You know, we know what carbohydrates do. They give us energy. They'll be bread for us. Yeah, there's giants in the land, but we'll overcome them and it's going to give us strength. It's going to make us stronger. You see, the fact is, there's only one way that we get stronger and that is overcoming resistance. That's why we pump iron and not air. We get stronger by overcoming resistance. We get stronger by dealing with adversity and, and going through trials. Why then would God allow a storm in your life and my life? Or why would God even engineer one? It might be corrective. And if we're in a storm, we need to ask ourselves the question about disobeyed God. And remember, there's two ways of doing that. I can do what God told me not to do. There's a lot of that. Or I can fail to do what God told me to do. There's even more of that. Sometimes God brings a storm because we need correction. Sometimes He brings a storm because we need to grow. And He enlarges us, strengthens us through the storm. How many times have you heard people say over the years, jokingly, always a joke, well, don't pay for, pray for patience because you know the Bible says tribulation works patience. But you know, it's kind of funny. We'll pray for strength in a heartbeat. God, I need strength. How do we get strength? <laughs> Look in this passage. 
When we need strength and we're begging God, God, I need strength. God, I need your grace. I need your help. I need strength. How do we get it? Yep. God grows us through our problems. God grows us through our storms. He, over, he grows us as we overcome resistance. Adversity is the only way to grow our strength. So we see God's providence then on display in the storm. He sent him right in the middle of it. But we also thank God, see his prayers. Verse 46, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. So while the disciples were out there struggling in the storm, Jesus was on the mountain praying. We know that because it says in verse 48, he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. And then after all those hours, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, if you have a problem today, how would it make you feel to know that Jesus Christ was praying for you? Well, i got good news for you. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus bowed His head on Golgotha's crest and said, Tetelestai, it is finished. It is finished. His work of redemption was done. But His work of intercession is ongoing. Aren't you glad that He ever lives to make intercession for you and me. When we're struggling down here in the storms of life, Jesus Christ knows it. He sees us. And He intercedes for us. One writer pointed out, I noticed this week, that millions of people, I'd never thought of it, he said millions of people across this world will live and die without ever having anybody pray for them. Without ever being on anybody's prayer list. Think about it. Millions. Who knows how many billions of people. What a privilege it is. To have somebody say to you, I'm praying for you. What a privilege it is to be on somebody's prayer list. I want you to know today, you're on Jesus Christ's prayer list if you're a believer. He's praying for you. He's interceding, always interceding for you. And so, yes, we see his providential work. He sent them right in the midst of the storm. But we also see his prayers at work. He intercedes for us while we're in it. And then he came to them. He saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch, again, that's three o'clock in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. Why did Mark put that detail in there? Jesus would have passed them by. He wanted us to know Jesus was moving a lot faster than them guys out there rowing in the boat. You understand this morning Jesus didn't need a boat. And the wind was not holding him back a bit. He was going to get to the other side of the sea and he could have just passed them right by because he was making a lot more progress than they were. I don't know how long they rode. It could have been as much as eight hours, it, uh, as little as six hours. It depended on what time the sun set. But more than likely it was about eight it wasn't so much a stormy wind again. Remember, it was a contrary wind, and for eight hours they persistently rode against it. Would have been nice if Jesus would have sent them in a direction where they would have been downwind. You know, that would have made the trip a lot easier. 
Every now and then we get one of those downwinded journeys that Jesus Christ sends, on, sends us on, but a whole lot more of the time the work he has for us is going to be against the wind. They rode for eight hours. Part of me wants to know why they didn't just quit and let the wind blow them to the bank and wait for the wind to lay down. That's what I would have probably done. But they were determined. Jesus had sent them. And I, I can see that. You see then their determination. that You've got to go. I want you to go. You go now. And they were doing it. And for eight hours they'd been rowing. Trying with all they had to do what Jesus had sent them out to do. We admire their tenacity. But they had to learn a lesson. And that is about how hard it is, how difficult it is to try to do the Lord's work without His presence with you. Jesus was getting along just fine. And, and, and as soon as He got in the boat, I love what John's account of this passage says, as soon as He got in the boat, immediately they were at the shore. Just like that, boom. Jesus suspended the laws of time and space. And just like that, just like that, immediately they were, they were on the shore. Made a lot more progress once Jesus was with them. They had to learn that lesson. And to have Jesus with us, it's not about Jesus joining us as we've made our plans, as we've determined our direction, as we've decided what we want to do and how we want to do it, and then we cry out to Jesus to come help us. No, that, that's not the way it works. They were going the way that Jesus told them to go. They were going along with Jesus and suddenly he gets in there with them. And Wow, it's amazing what kind of progress could be made. Jesus Christ is more real to us in the storms than maybe at any other time. We feel his presence in the storms in a greater way. And when Jesus comes with us, suddenly those storms become a superhighway, the vehicle that brings Christ to them in His presence and power. It's interesting that when Jesus came to them, you know, Jesus saw them and now the disciples see Him and immediately then they were, they were very afraid. I, I remember an old preacher that used to preach years ago. He said, if, if the Lord began to work in most churches today, it'd scare us to death. And, I believe there's a lot of truth in that. They saw Jesus coming to them and they said, Man, this is a ghost coming to get us. Now it's got worse. It's three o'clock in the morning. You know, the Bible tells us that they didn't consider those 12 basketfuls of food sitting there right at their feet. They'd forgotten all about that incredible miracle that Jesus had just performed and used them to do. Things that they could have never done on their own. No possible way that they could have made that happen. Far beyond anything that their resources would have enabled them to do. There is the incredible abundance that Jesus Christ brought to them. But that didn't get to them. They didn't see it. The Bible tells us their hearts were hardened. You know, you can get it. Hardened even to the miraculous. Think about what it was like for them to, to get so used to seeing miracles that it just, they didn't even think about it anymore. Their hearts were hardened. But here comes Jesus and 
Now that's even making them afraid. Sometimes the work of God does that to us. And so we remember the words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. I want to share with you, you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed in you because he trusts in you. I love Isaiah 30 and 18. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Look at that one again. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you and therefore he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you for the Lord is a God of justice. That is God always does what's right. Blessed are all those who wait for him. And so Isaiah tells us that the Lord will wait, so we wait for Him. We wait for Him. And it's a blessed thing, Isaiah says, for us to wait on the Lord. Now, you ever run across me and you see me smiling and it just looks like, well, Brother Rich, you look happy today. Don't ever expect me to say, yeah, I'm really happy today because I'm waiting on God. No, that, 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 that's not the way I feel usually when I'm waiting on God. We don't feel the blessedness of waiting. But God tells us that it is. It is blessed to wait when we're waiting on Him. You see, we have such a limited lifespan. We, we, time is everything to us, but with God, timing is far more important than time. Blessed are they who wait on the Lord, who understand that we can't do it without Him. God waits then for us to wait on Him. And when we do, then we learn about His power and how it sustains us in the storm. He tells them, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Again, John's account has this as I am. I am, be not afraid. I am, you see, was the Old Testament covenant name of God. I am. I am what? It's always unanswered. I am. I am. I am what you need. Yeah. I'm whatever you need. Yeah. I'm your solution. Yes. I am. It's never I will be, not I used to be. I am. And when God is there, then we have the power that we need to sustain us in the storms of life. Remember in John chapter 16 and verse 33. The Bible says that I have overcome the world. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that all things are under His feet. He has subdued it. So we see His his presence then and His power. We see His providence in the storm. His prayers in the storm. Lastly, we see His purpose. They came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. Uh, they started on the other side and cross over. And with every command that the Lord gives us then, there is the promise of God. Jesus told them to cross over and they crossed over. We saw this in the last storm that we saw them in with the storm. The storm didn't interfere with that. Uh, Jesus told them to do something. They did it. He said, let's cross over to the other side. They crossed over to the other side. He said, get in the boat, go across. They got across. With every one of God's commands then comes the promise. They didn't understand the how. We never do. 
We don't live by explanations. We live by the promises of God. We may not know how God is going to do what He's going to do. If we could figure out how to do it, there wouldn't be much to it. God doesn't always tell us how. One writer put it this way. He said, God never promised us smooth sailing. But He did promise a safe arrival. Don't you like that? Second storm then for the disciples in the Sea of Galilee. and Relatively short time. I wonder how many more storms they might have gone through had it not been for them finally getting this message. We know what this storm is all about. This is what it's for. Um, modern times we have something known as a barometer. It tells us when the air pressure is falling. Uh, but long before that, when the, of course, when the air pressure is falling, we know something, a storm's coming. If you're an outdoorsman, you know that animals, even wild animals, are particularly sensitive to the approach of a storm. They, they see it, they feel it, they know it's coming. We, we, we're so used to just Googling everything and listening to the weather. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Tom, what's his name? <laughs> He's pinpoint. He can tell us what the weather's going to do. Uh, but the animals are certainly in tune with it. The fish are in tune with it. And, and we are too. My great-grandma used to say, you know, I can, my knees are hurting, it's going to rain. Give rise to an old expression, I can feel it in my bones. Well, we do. We have that same sense. We, it, it's real to us. We feel it. We sense it. We know when the barometer's falling, we, we can feel it. There's something a storm's coming. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in this building or watching from home today, I want to tell you something. Something that you feel not in your bones. You feel it much deeper than that. If you're a blood-bought, born-again child of God, the Spirit of God lives in you. And you feel something in your soul. In your spirit. And what you're feeling is that there's a storm brewing. There's a storm coming. The signs of it are everywhere. Jesus said, you see the signs. It's not going to come upon you like a thief. Why? Because you will see the signs. The signs are everywhere. There is a storm coming to this world. How far away it is, I don't know. It could be a lot closer than we think. There's a storm coming. It is brewing. The signs of it are everywhere. And this is a time for us to make sure we've got Jesus in our boat. We need Jesus in our boat for this storm. And the way that you have Jesus in your boat today, first of all, is that you need to receive Him as your own personal Savior. If you haven't done that, you need to. And there will never be a better moment than right now. Because if you have understood that you are a sinner, then Jesus Christ died for your sins on Calvary. And He'll forgive you of your sins if you'll ask Him to. Ask Him to be your Savior, to save you. He'll come into your life. Without, 
Jesus Christ as your Savior, then He's not with you. And coming into this storm, I can tell you right now, you're going to fall under the judgment of God. The second thing that we do then to make sure that we got Jesus in our boat is to make sure that we're going His direction. Don't think Jesus is going to get in our boat when we're going against Him. <laughs> uh-uh. You see, they were going where Jesus told them to go. They were doing what Jesus told them to do. They were headed in that direction, though it was against the wind. And there was Jesus who got in the boat and just like that. They were there. Our nation and our world is headed into a storm the likes of which it has never seen before. Our Lord Jesus Christ told us that. A time that's never been. It's building all around us right now. Do you have Jesus in your boat? It's no time for delay. It's not a time for saying, well, I got plans and I just want Jesus to help me accomplish my plan. I got goals. I, I want Jesus to help me with my goals. Mm -mm. Am I going the direction that he told me to go? Am I doing what he's told me to do. You need to be saved. You need to be baptized. You need to be a part of his church family. This is no time to be out there on your own. Trying to face this storm. Mm -mm. That's why God gave us this marvelous institution called the New Testament church. That's why he placed it in the position that he placed it as the administrative agency within his kingdom. God intends for us to be a part of it. Local church, being active in ministry, serving. I pray today that we'd all ask ourselves that simple question Is Jesus in my boat? Storm's coming. You say, Brother Rich, I'm already in it. Is Jesus in your boat? Is the storm corrective? Is the storm perfective? I don't know the answer to those questions, but you do. Even more importantly, the Holy Spirit does. Let's stand together, please.